Hello, everyone. Just to let you know, we'll start the presentation in about one minute. We're just waiting for everybody to get in and get settled. Hello everyone, we'll start the presentation in about 30 seconds. We're just still waiting for everyone to get in and get settled. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Workplace Violence and Bullying, Five Keys to Addressing Threats in Today's Work Environment, sponsored by J.J. Keller. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I'm moderating today's session. Thank you all for joining us and we hope you're well, safe and well wherever you are today. We'll start the presentation in a couple minutes, but first there are some housekeeping items. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise product or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session with our speakers. To ask a question, click the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen, type your question and click the send button. Please feel free to ask your question anytime during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but we might not get to every question. The good news is that any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's sponsor. Also, after this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll tell you more about that a little later. This webcast will be archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's introduce our speakers. With us today are Michelle Higgins and Ray Chisty. Michelle is an associate editor with J.J. Keller. She researches and creates content on employment-related topics such as workplace violence, hiring, benefits and compensation, independent contractors, and child labor. Ray joined J.J. Keller in 2017 as a workplace safety editor. He has 15 years of EHS experience in many different industries, including construction, railway, fossil fuel power plants, EPC projects, gas distribution and transmission, electrical transmission, and retail. Once again, we thank you all for joining us. Michelle, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And today's webcast is sponsored by JJ Keller Training. JJ Keller Training Solutions cover a broad range of topics and are available in a variety of formats, training on demand, DVD, streaming video, video books, all to help you meet your needs. Backed by regulatory experts, and using the latest techniques and technology, our training solutions give your employees the proper instruction they need. And on behalf of our sponsor, thank you so much for joining us today. And Ray, would you like to get us started? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Michelle, and welcome everybody. Thank you for joining our webcast today. Uh, we're glad that you're all here with us today to discuss this very, very important topic on workplace bullying and violence. As you know, disagreements of one kind or another may happen in the workplace, and sometimes they occur on a daily basis. When emotions escalate, situations can get out of control. Even when there's no physical harm, bullying can leave deep emotional scars to employees. 
the consequences can have a profound impact on your workers' morale. Acts of violence, although rare, uh, do quickly become headline news, and they can also cause injuries or deaths. Knowing what to do can help maintain a safer and more productive work environment for everybody. This webcast is going to be covering five key aspects in preventing, recognizing, and addressing threats. And those five key areas that we're going to be discussing in today's webcast will be signs of hostile work environments, how to spot those, uh, how to handle a bully at work. We'll give you some good tips there. Uh, how to conduct a workplace investigation. So if you do have a situation, what should you do or what are the best practices? We'll also be discussing jobs that are prevalent to violent acts, how to identify those in your organization, and then also um, some warning signs to look out for workplace violence in your workplace. Thanks, Ray. And we would really like to get your input today and have this webcast be interactive. We really designed it to be that way. Um, for your benefit. Uh, and there's going to be a few ways to engage with us today. So first, um, as mentioned in the beginning, you can submit questions to us at any time throughout the webcast by entering them in the Q&A feature. And Ray and, Ray and I might answer a few along the way, but otherwise we'll try to get to as many as we can at the end. And then also we will have a few audience polls throughout the webcast today. So keep your eyes open for those. And with that, Let's do our first poll question. And the poll question is this, have you ever experienced an incident of workplace violence or bullying? So whether something happened in your current role at your company or at a previous employer, Ray and I are just trying to gauge kind of where our audience is at in terms of this topic. So go ahead and please click on your screen, either yes, no, or if you are not comfortable, that is totally fine. You can click, I'd rather not say. Um, the responses you provide in these polls are completely confidential. We only see the overall results. Um, and hopefully none of you have been through a violent experience at work. Um, these situations obviously can be very traumatic, whether it's just a heated argument on the sales floor or if an employee maybe punches somebody else. Violence and bullying can occur in a lot of different forms. So let's see how everybody responded. Okay, so it looks like over half, about 65% have experienced some sort of an incident at work. 33% have not, and then 2% you know, didn't want to say, so which is, I totally respect that. Thanks for participating in that. We appreciate that feedback. Just gives us a little bit of an idea of where the audience is at. Um, all right, so let's head forward. Oops. Next slide, there we go. Let's just start with a few basic definitions. So how is workplace violence defined. You hear that term all the time, but what does it really mean? So on the screen, I just listed a, how OSHA and NIOSH, how they, some keywords that they both use to describe what this means. So there, there's really different definitions depending on the government agencies. So under OSHA, it says workplace violence is an act or a threat of physical violence, harassment, intimidation, or other threatening disruptive behaviors that occur at the work site. It ranges from threats and verbal abuse to physical assaults and even homicide. It can affect and involve employees, clients, customers, and visitors. 
I think that's important too, to think about, right, is that it's maybe not even just to your employees, but it can involve customers and other people that just happen to be at the workplace. And then NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, their definition, they actually call it occupational violence. Um, and they say it is, again, the act of threat of violence ranging from verbal to verbal abuse to physical assaults directed towards a person at work or on duty. Um, and I think this is kind of an interesting way to look at it. The impact of workplace violence can range from psychological issues to physical injury. So NIOSH really kind of calls out that psychological effect, which I think is so important as well to think about that. Um, they go on to say violence can occur in any workplace among any type of worker, but the risk for fatal violence is greater for workers in sales, protective services, transportation, um, while the risk for non-fatal violence resulting in days away from work is greatest for healthcare and social assistance workers. So, and we'll kind of talk more about that in the coming slides, but just something to, just wanted to point that out, um, some of these different definitions. Acts of violence, um, no matter what the definition is really, acts of violence and other injuries is currently the third leading cause of fatal occupational injuries in the U.S., According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics Census of Fatal Occupational Injuries, of the 5,333 fatal workplace injuries that occurred in the U.S. in 2019, 761 were cases of intentional injury by another person. However it manifests itself, workplace violence is a major concern for employers and employees nationwide. All right, terrific. Good information, Michelle. Um, you know, I, we often get asked the question about, so, you know, what are the um, rules or regulations associated with workplace violence when it comes to OSHA? Putting together my safety plan, what do I need to include? And while OSHA has um, guidance, best practice guidance for employers, um, there isn't a particular standard or regulation uh, to cite to. And so what comes to mind here is OSHA's general duty clause. And most of you know that um, if OSHA doesn't address a particular topic in one of its standards or regulations, um, it may fit under the general duty clause. And so every employer has that duty to ensure that they're identifying workplace hazards in their workplace. And they have that duty to ensure that they mitigate or address those hazards by instituting uh, controls and measures to ensure that workers have that safe working environment to be in. And so certainly um, workplace violence, bullying, a lot of the topics that we'll be discussing here in the webcast will fall under this general duty clause. So just a reminder that although there aren't, there isn't a particular standard, you still do have a duty uh, to address these topics in your workplace. Thanks, Ray. And I think that, you know, I'm curious too, as time goes on, if that's going to become more and more of a topic of conversation and uh, with OSHA and employers. Um, but in along those same lines, so employers do have a, a certain level of responsibility to protect their employees, right? So let's talk about negligent hiring or retention. And 
HR and hiring and retention and recruiting, all of those things uh, fall kind of in my wheelhouse. But one way to minimize or prevent hazards and limit employer liability is to have a thorough hiring process in place and process being the key word, you know, follow a certain number of steps before you hire somebody. And that can include background checks. Um, with so many companies struggling to recruit and retain workers, um, it's tempting to skip some steps along the way in the hiring process to quickly fill roles. Um, but if you do that, just keep in mind that that could bring some risks um, to your company. If something would happen, investigators might look to see what did the employer miss and what should the employer have known with the new hire. So, you know, try to, again, maintain that process. Um, and one thing I want to just mention, this is an, just a brief example, and I won't go into a lot of detail. You can maybe um, look into it a little bit on your own after the webcast, but um, it came across this news case that happened. The U.S. Department of Labor was investigating um, a Boise mall shooting um, in October of 2021, so really not that long ago. Um, and they found that the security company had exposed their officers or security officers to dangers in the workplace. So um, basically there was an incident at the mall, at the Boise Idaho mall, there was a fatal shooting of an, shooting of an unarmed security officer. Um, OSHA cited the security company for not instituting controls to protect security workers from hazards. Um, and it led to death or injury. Um, and there was a proposal that I saw of $14,000 worth of fines and damages. And, um, and then some other stipulations with OSHA saying they have to develop a prevention program. They have to train their personnel. They have to increase signage and they have to have procedures in place to identify high-risk people. So again, you can kind of look up that case. I put some information on the slide if you want to read more about it. But again, it kind of speaks to what Ray and I are talking about that you know, there, I think there's going to be, as time goes on, a little more responsibility um, on employers' shoulders to make sure they're doing all they can to keep their employees safe. Um, is there a violent environment in the workplace? So um, what do you do if, if the environment that you're working in um, or that you know somebody working in, what if it's a violent environment? Um, in most workplaces, where risk factors can be identified, the risk of assault can be prevented or minimized if employers take appropriate precautions. And we'll touch on that in the next couple of slides. One of the best protections employers can offer their workers is to establish a zero tolerance policy towards workplace violence. Now policy should cover all workers, patients, clients, visitors, contractors, anybody who comes in contact with company personnel. Um, and my, I just had a couple of thoughts on this to sort of the, and again, we're just going to keep reiterating these important things, but um, if you see something, say something, you know, um, if you see anything weird or suspicious, you know, listen to that voice in your head and, and dig into it a little further, communicate with each other. If you see something, tell somebody at work that something is off, um, have a, have a plan in place, have a mental plan. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that too, but how would you respond if something happened? Um, just very briefly, I just made a note here. I want to just mention, um, I just recently went through a live simulation, an active shooter live simulation um, in conjunction with our local sheriff's department. And um, it was a pretty thorough and in-depth simulation. Um, I learned a lot and it was, it, and it was of course practice, nothing was real, nobody was injured. Um, but I think 
it really helped me see these kinds of situations from a different point of view. So something to think about um, maybe doing at your company, work with your local law enforcement and walk through what would your company do if somebody was there causing harm. Great information, Michelle. You, you, you hit a, a good key point. You got to walk through these scenarios and situations, these what ifs uh, in your organization, in particular to your industry, um, the types of work activities that you're doing, you should have what if scenarios. Um, and as we go through the webcast today, we'll be giving you guys tips on, on how to do that. Um, also food for thought, um, one of the attendees had brought up, there's also, if you're in a healthcare setting, there are universal precaution guidelines for workplace violence. Um, certainly those types of guidance documents, um, OSHA can look at uh, to see if employers in those industries have met their general duty uh, to ensure that there's a safe workplace for all workers. Um, so if you're in the healthcare setting, another great, um, you know, guidance document to refer to. Um, also, just remember, uh, keep your questions coming in. There's a questions Q&A box there. So uh, don't hesitate to send Michelle and I your questions. And uh, just a little bit tidbit here on signs of a hostile work environment, things to look out for. Um, so, you know, uh, perhaps offensive uh, comments or behaviors, right? Maybe there's a situation going on where people are saying certain things that are abrasive or they're acting a certain way um, that might stoke the flames of a potentially violent situation. Um, and again, this can change and fluctuate depending upon the industry and type of work activities that you encounter. Um, Severe and persistent uh, behaviors. So maybe something so frequent or, persi uh, or persistent that it, uh, it affects um, the person's ability to do their job. So maybe there's just the continued annoyance of comments or behaviors where coworkers are just being distracted. Uh, that could be a potential sign. Um, perhaps somebody feels excluded by others at work. And this type of environment commonly involves somebody who experiences some sort of offensive or unwanted behavior um, by their coworkers. And so they're feeling that isolation. Um, also, um, it can affect the person's employment. Um, so their ability to be their best and do their best. Um, so that can certainly be affected. Um, and really anybody can be affected. This uh, workplace violence and bullying is not isolated to a particular department or job title or job function. Although certain, certain, um, you know, certain departments or employees might be more at risk, especially if they have external exposures, but this can really affect anybody. It's, so it's important when you develop your program and you have training exercises that you ensure that you include everybody. Thanks, Ray, good points. Um, so let's talk, we talked briefly about harassment and things like that, but let's dig into that a little bit. So what is harassment? Harassment can contribute to, it can be a contributing factor to a hostile work environment. Every company, large or small, has a duty to stop harassment before it violates the law. Unacceptable work conduct should not be allowed. 
Um, some people's behavior, however, is just what you might call bad manners. So their harassing behavior doesn't violate the law, but their conduct should not be acceptable at work either. Well, what is considered illegal, illegal harassment? Illegal harassment is unwelcome behavior directed at a person in a protected class, whether that person is an applicant, an employee, or former employee. Harassment can take on many forms, and that can include bullying and rude behavior, but this type of conduct is only illegal when, it, when it's based on a protected class. But really, considering that a large number of people belong to at least one protected class, legal harassment, unfortunately, isn't really that unusual. Um, so this slide just talks about... Um, Oh, Title VII, federally protected classes. So when you hear when you hear the term protected classes, quote unquote, uh, what does that mean, and who does it apply to? We get that question quite a bit um, in the HR world. Um, and this slide lists all the protected classes according to federal law. Um, and Title VII applies to employers with fifteen or more employees. So. That means people can't be discriminated against in employment matters because of all these things listed on your screen. Now be aware, just wanna mention briefly, this we're talking at a federal level. So some states might have broader laws that apply to all employers or that protect additional groups. Oops, there you go. All right, all good information, Michelle, thank you. This is another question that we get often and, you know, perhaps something that you're considering when you develop your workplace plan. So where do you draw the line? Um, and I think it's important to be able to differentiate between, you know, offensive and hostile behavior and perhaps friendly jokes that aren't usually a problem. And, um, you know, also looking at, you know, what is offensive behavior um, or perhaps what is a one-time event? And it's important that when you have your scenarios, your what-if scenarios, and when you're developing your plan, that you're addressing these things because these are common life reality situations that your workers will present and that you'll have often on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's important that you understand where do you draw the line as an employer. Um, also looking at regular enforcement might be needed. And so when, do, when situations do arise that are above and beyond that line that you've drawn, so maybe a joke is too excessive or perhaps a certain behavior or situation has, has arisen that's inappropriate um, and goes above that line, what do you do as a company in terms of enforcement? Um, you wanna remember that your key uh, purpose here is to develop that culture of respect. And I can't stress enough that it really starts when your workers first come through the door. So when you're hiring your workers, um, it's important in your, and I've often done this um, when I was setting up programs for places that I've worked in, is ensuring that I had some sort of program to talk about what that culture of respect was at the time of new hire. And for my workers that were there already having some sort of an annual refresher process where we could talk about that culture of respect. And so again, ensure that you're, um, you're, you're defining that line. What is, what isn't, what's excessive, what's not. And again, I wanna stress here that, you know, certain jokes will be fine and certain ones won't. On this next slide here, um, it's important to understand. So what is bullying? 
right? Um, you know, we talk about drawing that line and understanding really what goes above and beyond that line. And so bullying is defined, right, as repeated unwelcome behavior um, that typically humi humiliates or intimidates uh, a coworker or otherwise sabotages the person's performance as we've been talking about here. So the key word here is repeated. So a single incident of perhaps anger or frustration may not be considered bullying. And if it's uh, some sort of a pattern develops, um, then it may fit the definition of bullying. So again, that key word there is, is that you have this sort of repeat behavior. Um, and as I mentioned, that respectful work environment is such a key. I can't stress that enough. Very important. So also remember that, you know, bullying takes many forms. Uh, um, you know, there's lots of different things that might fit within that definition that we went over. Um, so maybe expressions of hostility, right? So maybe somebody um, is having certain verbal or body language um, that is expressing that they're in a hostile state. Uh, maybe they're crossing their arms, other types of body language um, that might motion to expressions of hostility. Um, abusive conduct could be something like maybe somebody is uh, belittling a coworker, perhaps harassing them, um, isolating, boxing the coworker, feeling, uh, making them feel isolated. Those are things that would be um, typical abusive conduct. Um, you know, abuse of power. So perhaps you have a situation where um, a supervisor um, is berating an employee. Um, perhaps they had a infraction or a work process issue. Um, you know, and so you can have situations of abuse of power. And I, we had a good question coming about this. You know, what do you do if uh, you have a supervisor or a manager or a higher up um, that's um, uh, violating the um, workplace violence policies that you have? And my feedback there is whether it's workplace violence or it's an HR related issue or it's a safety issue, you need to define in your policy that, you know, here's the bottom line, you cross the bottom line, this is what happens. And that should apply to everybody in your organization, interdependent of whether they're the supervisor or they're the employee. And so my response is, is that make sure you have clear uh, policies in your organization on how to deal with workplace violence and bullying and ensure that it applies universally to everybody. Because the worst thing you can do is create classes and, you know, these groups of people, the policy is going to be subject to them. And because you're a supervisor, it might have kind of sort of applied to them. So ensure that you have that clear policy and it defines what happens and it applies universally to everybody. Um, another form of bullying um, that is common could be something like deceit uh, or sabotage. So maybe somebody taking credit for somebody else's work, uh, which can also prompt those bullying or workplace violence situations. Um, you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the law already, but, you know, just to get a little bit more in depth into it. Um, as we mentioned, uh, bullying is not illegal under the federal law currently. Um, so even though, and think about this, so even though bullying may not be improper and um, 
uh, or I apologize, even though bullying may be uh, improper or unprofessional, bullying currently is not illegal, right, under the federal law. And um, remember that there are severe types of bullying. And, you know, those are things like the assault or battery, where now we're getting into situations where there's crimes being committed. Um, and those are obviously illegal. Uh, things like retaliation, discrimination, um, harassment based on legally protected classes, um, those are also situations that are also illegal. Um, for example, also, so if a bully makes an offensive comment um, based on something like someone's race or maybe their gender, it could be unlawful uh, discrimination. And you need to have those clear policies to describe what happens in those instances. And again, it applies universally to everybody, interdependent of their position. Um, also remember that ignoring the problem of a workplace bully um, just doesn't work in the long run. It's gonna be an issue. We described that it's typically repetitive behavior and you're trying to build that, um, that workplace culture of respect. And so by simply ignoring the problem isn't gonna make the problem go away. And often we've seen employers do this simply not because they want to ignore the problem, but they don't have clear policies and definition of what to do in instances of when these things occur. So, you know, and, and think about it. If you ignore the situation, what type of message are you sending to the victim um, if you fail to resolve their problem? Um, it certainly will have a continued negative effect on their working relationships. So you got to remember, you have to act. You got to act appropriately. Um, also, victims of bullying, they might be afraid of consequences if they say something. Um, I was a police officer once upon a time, and I often saw this where um, somebody had been victimized and they just didn't want to say anything. They were afraid uh, of saying something and the consequences that might be associated with that. And so remember that if somebody is reporting something to you, it takes a lot of courage um, for them to get to that point where they're now telling you about it. And so you want to respect that. Um, and, you know, by addressing your workplace issues, it can also help enhance that culture of respect where people see that as a company, you're taking the, the issue seriously. And so as they see something, say something, as Michelle said, um, they feel like they can go ahead and report workplace violence and bullying situations. Also, and, you should- oh, Go ahead, Ray. Sorry, I yeah, was thinking you yeah, No, no. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped the gun yeah. there. <laughs> no, just uh, the last point here is really the uh, discrimination and harassment, as I had mentioned, was illegal. So- um, you want to make sure that your policy, your workplace policy addresses those as well. All right, Michelle, all you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I clicked too fast. Um, we had, This is such a such an important topic. I think Ray and I could talk for like two hours on it. And I see a lot of really good questions coming in, which is making me want to go down a whole another path with some different topics. So yeah, go ahead and send your questions in. We'll, we will try our best to get to as many as we can. Um, this slide, oh, and I want to also, before I forget, mention thank you for the person who sent in about the what if your executive is a bully. I think that was one of the first questions that came in. And I will touch on that in a few slides more specifically, but what Ray said 
he brought up some great points. Um, another thing to think about too is oftentimes there's usually a board. So even if it's the top person at your company, a lot of times there's a board that that executive person reports to. So, and I have seen in the HR world, unfortunately, more often than not, sometimes the bully is at that top level and that's not easy. I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but um, it's still important to address. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, how to handle it, a bully at work. Um, I will say in short, it kind of depends on how you find out about it and what's going on. So it's kind of a case by case basis. So what if you discover a bullying situation before it gets reported to you? Or what if you see an employee being bullied or threatened? Um, what if an employee comes to you reporting an incident? So it just sort of depends on the situation. But whatever the situation is, treat all reports seriously and confidentially. Like Ray said, sometimes a victim, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of courage to report something. So treat it very seriously. Um, assume everything is being that's being reported is true and start there and it might be exaggerated but keep an open mind um, but the effects on the bullied victim are real and you you would have to address them all right thanks michelle um, so here's some good information on how to conduct a workplace investigation and i think this toggles with a, a great question that's come in about de-escalating uh, techniques and situations, and we'll cover some of those here as well. But, you know, after, if, if the situation is aggressive enough where you've had to call the police or get, um, you know, external resources involved, once the situation is tempered and calmed down, you know, these are some of the best practices that you want to consider for your workplace plan. So you definitely want to interview the victims and witnesses, um, certainly not to, together, uh, you want to have a private area where you can go to and have conversations about what happened and allow them to paint the picture or tell the story uh, in their own words. And that's so important. Um, you know, prevent yourself from trying to interject or lead or answer questions. Allow them to talk. And so you're really taking a listening ear here. You want to meet with each person separately and privately. Can't stress that enough. This is not a group conversation. Um, you know, certainly interview the offender. Um, and there's some pluses and minuses, whether you do that in the beginning or at the end. Um, but certainly you want to make sure that you speak with whoever the alleged offender is. Um, you want to inform them of the allegations. And so you really don't want to beat around the bush and try to solicit information. Um, you want to be candid and say, look, we have allegations of workplace bullying or or certain situations, be frank, be direct. Um, so that way you can have a uh, fruitful conversation. Um, give the offender an opportunity to reply. Um, that's just so important. Um, you're asking questions, you're performing an investigation here. You're not concluding um, uh, before you've investigated. So allow them to reply and tell their story. And you wanna be uh, confidential about this. These are very sensitive topics. Um, and so it's important that you understand that you need to maintain strict confidentiality whenever you're doing the investigation. And more information about how to conduct a workplace investigation. Really, like Ray said, you get the statements, review the statements. If needed, do another round of interviews. Um, evaluate the credibility. And then at the end of the investigation, submit an objective report 
describe the allegations, the who, what, where, when, what was reported, describe the process of investigating that was conducted, outline all the relevant evidence, including who was interviewed, and conclude whether workplace bullying is substantiated. All right, so also remember you wanna communicate recommendations, right? So if the investigation that you're gonna be performing confirms that um, some sort of workplace bullying or violence has occurred, you wanna communicate the recommendations to the victim, um, the bully or the bullies. And we call this taking corrective actions, right? You gotta take them. So for example, um, you know, you would do something like directing the bully to stop the behavior, right? You need to stop. You want to invite an apology. Um, you may um, have uh, follow-up training that might need to occur. Um, you might offer mediation um, between the bully and the victim. Uh, perhaps you have resources for coaching, counseling, or mentoring the bully. Um, also, you want to think through uh, disciplinary actions. And this is important because, again, you got to remember that it applies universally to anybody, supervisors included. So after, you know, discipline, um, you know, you want to think about, you know, make sure that you follow up um, because you want to make sure that the controls and the measures that you've instituted in your organization are actually working. And we talked about bullying and workplace violence situations. They're typically repetitive behaviors or comments. And so it's important that if you're taking actions that you follow up to make sure that they're actually in place and that they're lasting. Um, you know, also unfortunately attempts to de-escalate a bullying situation aren't always gonna be 100% effective. Um, you know, sometimes the bullying can escalate and it can turn into workplace violence. And so you want to have that drawing line of what you should do and how to de-escalate. Um, I typically, when I was a police officer, you know, and I share this with folks, um, we called it verbal judo. You know, a lot of times you can de-escalate a situation or escalate a situation based on the tone in your voice. And so if you approach a situation, a very stressful situation with a calm, uh, direct uh, voice or tone, a lot of times you can de-escalate situations very quickly. And on the side note of that, or the flip side, if you're um, upset yourself or you're stressed out um, and you're screaming and yelling, a lot of times you can go ahead and escalate um, situations. And so you want to be mindful of that. That's great, great advice, Ray. Um, and so let's catch our breath. We're about halfway through the content and thank you for your attention in this. And, and we know it's a heavy, heavy topic. Um, I saw somebody send in a question about training. So let's just take a quick breather and talk briefly about training and how it is so important um, to train your employees, train everybody at the company. Um, JJ Keller actually has um, some training courses available on this topic. Um, so if you want more information on the courses that we can offer you, let us know. There's going to be a poll on your screen. Um, and then as a thank you gift as well, we will also email you. We have a brand new white paper on workplace bullying and violence, where a lot of this content I think is covered in there. Um, so go ahead and make a selection on your screen. Um, 
and whether you need to train on just a few topics or a lot of topics, JJ Color Training really delivers. We have a whole library of online content. So that would be fantastic um, for your company. Um, and then, so while you're doing that, there's going to be a poll. I am going to skip to the next slide. Oops. Okay, I'm going to learn these buttons by the end. There we go. Oops, that was the white paper. All right, um, just a few statistics. These are, and these are tough. Um, so workplace violence victims, these are um, uh, from 2018, I'm sorry. So 453 US workers were workplace homicide victims, 82% um, male, 47% white, 66% between the ages of 25 to 54, which kind of logically makes sense. You think of those are kind of the, maybe the key working, working years. 20% um, worked in sales or a similar job. And then the next slide um, talks, it shows a few statistics about workplace violence victims, the injured. Um, so you think of it, so often you hear the statistics on fatalities, but there's oftentimes so many injuries uh, for people that need, that are involved in a situation at work. And what I think about too, from an HR perspective is that, you know, these are significant numbers on your screen and there's a ripple effect from these tragedies. And I've been, you know, hearing and reading a lot in the news lately, of course, um, we all have, I'm sure. Um, so whether death or injuries, the, the ripple effect is immeasurable. You know, there's loss, there's financial impacts, you know, for people who can't go to work you know, or need time off of work, or if you have to take time off to take care of a family member. So um, that's why we're really covering this topic in such depth today, because it, it's not just, it's not a simple topic. It's very complex. Um, let's get to some of the, the key points here. So what leads to workplace violence? Well, sometimes like Ray said, sometimes situations can escalate from bullying to violence. And some, there are certain things that occasionally will precipitate these acts. Um, and what we're all wondering is how can you stop it? Are there ways to stop it before something starts? Um, violence at work can be caused by one personal factors, financial problems, legal, marital problems, um, sometimes or oftentimes drug and alcohol abuse, mental or physical ailments, um, or it could be caused by workplace factors like job loss, perception of unequal or unfair treatment. Um, we spoke to that a, a, kind of in the beginning, sort of that feeling of maybe workplace sabotage or somebody stealing your work or your ideas, you know, um, kind of think of it from a broad perspective, harassment from coworkers, that can be an issue as well. Workplace violence is of course very real and very dangerous and it affects organizations of every size and type. When it does happen, the repercussions are severe. Uh, workplace violence is defined, um, and we talked about that earlier, the definitions, um, and it can range from verbal to physical. So just across the board, um, I am going to, and unfortunately it will sometimes escalate up to homicide. Yeah, these, um, you know, the numbers that Michelle just shared, I mean, this puts it into perspective, this situation, workplace violence and bullying, they're real. 
it's happening um, all across all industries. And so we can't stress enough that you have prevention processes in place. Um, here's some examples, um, you know, of common jobs that are prone to violent acts. This is not all inclusive, um, but if you have positions that are exchanging money, uh, perhaps you have delivery drivers, uh, bank tellers, uh, any position where there's an exchange of money, um, they could be more at risk uh, to violent acts. Um, you know, positions that are working with uh, volatile or unstable people. Um, so if you're in a particular um, healthcare setting or correctional facility, you know, I know as a police officer, a lot of times when I would go um, and book in suspects, um, you know, we would run into or encounter situations in the booking area. But, you know, if you have those positions, those are higher at risk. Um, workers that are working alone, they could be more at, at risk or at target. Um, providing services and care. And so if you have a forward facing position in the organization where you're providing services or care to customers or patients, so those are certainly positions that could be more prevalent to those uh, workplace violent acts. Um, also working where alcohol is served, right? Um, where if you have uh, situations where patrons are becoming intoxicated, um, that could also uh, place those workers at higher risk for those violent acts. Yeah, thanks, Ray. And we were talking about this just a little while ago, but and somebody was was is on the ball. So in May 2022, a member of the U.S. Senate introduced legislation to protect healthcare and social services employees from workplace violence, and that's called the Workplace Violence Prevention for Healthcare and Social Service Workers Act. It's a long title, <clears throat> but it is directing OSHA to introduce or issue a standard requiring healthcare and social service employers to write and implement a workplace violence prevention plan to prevent and protect their employees for violence incidences. Um, because that field is a very dangerous field, unfortunately. 70% um, of non-fatal workplace assaults in 2016 occurred in the healthcare and social assistance sectors. So um, OSHA is starting to look at that segment. Um, segment of the workplace. All right. Ray is going to talk about some warning signs. Yeah, warning signs. absolutely. So here's some things that you should look out for, right? These are things certainly when you do your what if scenarios that you should be discussing with your workers. So a good employee suddenly becomes a problem employee, right? That could be a sign. Uh, perhaps an employee becomes frustrated or they're just unexpectedly lashing out, they're fighting with their coworkers, could be a sign. Um, perhaps they have an obsession with weapons, they're constantly talking about the weapons, um, you know, fantasizing about the weapons, wanting to bring them in. Um, they could also be making direct or implied th uh, threats about their coworkers or certainly supervisors. Um, you know, perhaps you have a situation where a good employee suddenly becomes a problem employee, never had any problems with this employee until now type thing. An employee, uh, you could have a situation where maybe an employee becomes frustrated. Um, the, um, you know, another one would be uh, perhaps signs of alcohol or drug abuse. Um, and so that could also be an indicator of 
signs or symptoms that you should be looking for. Also intimidating or bullying of coworkers, um, as we've talked about really throughout this segment here, um, that intimidation process, and it's a repeated intimidation, right? Um, also recent, as Michelle had covered, recent financial, marital, or legal issues. So personal issues that are now stemming into the workplace and creating those signs and symptoms that you should be looking for. I do highly recommend that when you do training for your supervisors, um, perhaps reasonable suspicion for uh, drug abuse or intoxication, that you also do this type of training um, to your supervisors on how they should um, be able to see something, say something type signs and symptoms. I was just thinking of that, Ray, too, you know, and some of these things, you know, you might just hear around the quote water cooler. You know, if you hear employees saying, hey, I noticed that so-and-so employee, they're just not looking well. They seem really down. They don't want to, they're not as chatty as they used to be. Again, you're looking for a pattern. You know, maybe they're just having a bad day or bad week. That happens. I get it. But if you're seeing something like a pattern of significant change behavior, that could be a red flag. And that's when action, you need to kind of start looking into what's going on and what can you do to help. Um, the FBI is looks at active shooter motivation and, and I'm sure more so, you know, these in recent days, but um, most active shooters, 80%, according to the FBI, had a grievance. And again, it's whether real or perceived, you know, if it's a grievance and it's perceived by that shooter, they that's what they think. Um, and oftentimes it's a personal grievance. It could be employment related, maybe they were terminated, or sometimes just a general hatred that racist or anti-religious bias and that kind of thing. But 80% had some sort of grievance going on. Um, I had here playing the check. Only about half the cases involved visible signs of planning um, an attack on social media posts. Um, so it's kind of a half and half, you know, sometimes I think it's easy to sort of assume like, oh, they must be planning it or put it out on social media. According to the research I've been doing, it's about half and half um, where documentation was found. The planning time and planning time can range from less than a week to more than a year. Um, documentation shows that shooters rarely plan the escape. They're most expecting to die by suicide from the police or be caught or arrested. So, um, and that was one thing that I learned in my recent simulation training with the active shooters that the police officers shared with us that oftentimes it's a quote lone wolf situation and they, it, they go in knowing that most likely they aren't going to come out. So, and it's scary to hear that and, and hard to talk about it, but that's unfortunately kind of the reality of things. Um, let's get back a couple slides. Yeah, it looks like we're going to, you know, here's a good reminder. Um, you know, your perpetrator isn't always an employee. Um, mm -hmm. And it could be the customer, um, perhaps a vendor, a spouse of a, a worker. Uh, or a significant other, or perhaps just simply an acquaintance. And so uh, when you do your training, you want to make sure that you tell your workers, it may not just be their coworker, it could be anybody really. Domestic violence can play a big factor. Life issues, as we all know, can sometimes follow employees to work. Um, abusers can stalk victims at work. Um, and that can be a real challenge for employers and supervisors and staff. 
<clears throat> you know, they don't always maybe know what's going on in somebody's personal life. You know, and this, this echoes off of what I was talking about earlier, those signs and symptoms to really look for. So, um, you know, some other things to think through, perhaps um, tardiness, you got late workers coming in, um, unplanned or increased use of earned time or paid time off could be an indicator. Perhaps they're having decreased productivity suddenly. Um, stress caused by personal phone calls. So they're on a, they're taking a call and they're getting stressed out. Um, just something to think about. Um, perhaps wearing long sleeves on a hot day or sunglasses inside. So maybe there's signs of abuse, physical abuse, and they're wanting to cover it up. Um, you know, perhaps difficulty in making decisions or concentrating on their work and being productive. Um, you know, have health conditions, so maybe bruising, chronic headaches, uh, they're having abdominal pains or muscle aches, um, could also be something like signs of fear or anxiety, depression, or fatigue. It really could be anything. And so these are all typical examples of signs and symptoms that you may want to look for. I'm going to skip this. We've talked about just for sake of time, and I'm sorry, we have so much content. This has been such a tough topic lately, and I've added so much content to this. Um, I'm just going to jump ahead to our poll question real quick. Do domestic violence uh, victims qualify for FMLA? And this is sort of a, just a question, sort of just to see um, what our audience thinks. Uh, we'll give you a few seconds to chime in on there. And then, Ray, if it's okay with you, I'm going to kind of breeze through some of the end to get to a couple questions. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see what people say. Yes, no, and it depends. So the correct answer, and this was kind of a trick question, and I know I'm kind of rushing it too, but it really depends. So under federal law, domestic violence um, don't necessarily qualify for FMLA unless, and that's a big unless, there is a serious health condition involved, like an overnight stay in the hospital facility. Um, I will say uh, the colleague and I do a lot of FMLA webcasts. If you want to learn more about that, tune into one of those. Uh, but be aware, there are a lot of states out there, and I'm going to just call out, I think it was Illinois. Yes, Illinois has a new law in the books for victims of uh, domestic violence or sexual violence. So depending what state you're in, that um, there might be additional resources for victims. Um, there's a case. If you get a chance, uh, look up this case or Google this case, Wells versus Nesbitt. It's talking about an um, FMLA case where there was a workplace shooting and the employer didn't want to bring the employer back because they were worried that the violence might follow them to work. Um, so check that out. Um, I want to just also say, you know, be careful if you are helping somebody who you think, oh, sorry, Ray, I'm stepping on your toes. No, you got it. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to fly <laughs> through the end here. Um, we're flexible, right? We kind of roll with it. Absolutely. Um, be safe. You know, if you do have an employee who is um, having some safety issues with the domestic violence, be careful. You're not a crisis counselor. Um, offer them the resources that you have available, but just be careful. Um, talk about preparing. If there is an incident, just be alert. Like we talked about a lot of warning signs today, 
have crisis response procedures in place, think about how you would respond and look out for security concerns. Um, I think police officers would be very flexible to come and, you know, when they can and, and point out maybe some security incidences or security breach points at your workplace that maybe could be tightened up. Um, all right, this is our summary slide. Um, we, you know, the theme that we're trying to say is obviously we want to keep everybody safe from harm, but also, like I mentioned earlier, there is such a ripple effect from violence and bullying. It affects morale, it increases stress, it lowers productivity, there's more absenteeism. And then um, money-wise too, it increases the healthcare benefits. So it's definitely something to, to really be aware of. Um, safety isn't expensive, it's priceless. And with that, in the last few, few minutes, um, I'm gonna turn it over to our moderator and we will take some questions. All right, thank you both so much for this fantastic, insightful presentation. Before we start the q and I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is important because it'll help us improve our future webcast. Okay, yeah, it looks like we have time for at least a uh, couple of questions. Um, so the first one, in the current environment, we all wear different hats. Who do you report bullying to if the person responsible for investigating or dealing with the report doesn't want to hear it or doesn't want to doesn't have time to deal with the situation we had a couple questions that were along that same line so yeah. what would you say ray you don't want yeah, to deal my, with that yeah my recommendation is that you're going to have to have several decision makers you got to have mm -hmm. people that can can make uh, decisions in the organization to do the investigation to do controls and mitigation and you want to have several decision makers at different levels in the company that workers could go to so maybe it's somebody in hr maybe it's an executive management or leader in the company so have several decision makers across multiple departments that they could go to so our next question, what is the responsibility of on-site managers when workplace violence is in progress as an actual, let's say an actual physical fight, you know, should we get between the two? Obviously it could be dangerous. Or do you call 911 and wait for the authorities to get there and handle it in the correct manner? This person asks, where do we draw the line? Mm. That's a good question. Um, well, I guess it depends on the situation. I wouldn't put you know, you want to be careful, you know, if somebody's grabbing a scissors or something and swinging it, you know, you try to clear the area, get everybody out, um, try to keep the, the area safe. And I would, if, if it's pretty bad, I would be calling 911. What do you think, Ray? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't hurt. You should, absolutely. your policy should um, direct managers and employees to immediately contact the police. If they show up and there's no harm, no problem, but at least the Calvary's on the way. Yeah. Um, I, I promote never put yourself um, in a situation to become victimized. Um, so certainly um, a lot of times you have to be a good observer. So that way you can relay information to police. Um, but certainly don't become victimized. If you feel comfortable with a situation and de-escalating it, do so. And as Michelle mentioned, everybody's different, but certainly call police from the get-go. So our next question is having a peer reporting committee, a good idea, liability would be an issue if it's not elevated correctly, but employees may be more likely to discuss a problem with a coworker rather than management. I've wondered about that. I've seen more 
out there in research with peer-to-peer, especially for mental health and that kind of thing. I'm a fan of it, but I can see where the liability would be an issue as well. So it's kind of, I wouldn't probably start a peer-to-peer group without some legal assistance, personally, from what I have been reading about it. I like the idea. I do like the idea. I read an article about that recently, but I think it's going to be, it's kind of a newer idea, I think. So our next question, you've reported uh, an incident or whatever, and it does not stop the bullying and the bully makes you feel very uncomfortable when at the workplace. What what can you do from there? Like what's the recourse? Well, yeah, your, your policy needs to have disciplinary measures built into it up to and including termination. And so if you have repetitive bad behaviors uh, that are centered around bullying and workplace violence, unfortunately, your policy must have disciplinary measures up to and including that termination. So sometimes the solution is removing the bully from the workplace altogether. I agree. And I think it's a culture. It can be a culture thing. And going back to the question in the beginning about the executives, you know, what's the tone for coming down from your leadership team? You know, are they tolerating things? Are they looking the other way? Are they the bully? If it's a culture thing, it's beyond a certain incident, you know, you might have to consider working somewhere else. If, if the culture there is promoting a bullying attitude or behaviors versus promoting safety and respect for everybody. Like we have time for one more question. This is a pretty good one. I thought, uh, what is a good resource to obtain a, a policy template or template policies? Ooh, JJ Keller. <laughs> we do have some policy. We have a, a ton of policy templates um, available. Um, so reach out to us and we can help connect you with that. And we have a lot, ton of training too. Yeah. And one thing I'll throw out real quick, do a workplace survey, talk to your workers and see what their thoughts are coupled with our template. And those two together, will put together a really awesome program for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we get into everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our sponsor. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Michelle Higgins, Ray Chisty, everyone at J.D. Keller, and, of course, all of our listeners. Thank you, and have a safe day.